Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. All glory to, to the Father in heaven. As a matter of fact, I want to speak to you today about the Father. In John 14, 6, maybe you can turn to it with me. Gospel of John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I believe many of us have apprehended the truth of the first part of that verse, that Jesus is the way. I think in the, G- in the Jesus movement, they used to just point out one way, one way to heaven, one way. But the second part of the verse was something that I never focused on in my early walk with the Lord, and I realized you can't cut the verse in half. If Jesus is the way... A way only means something if there's a destination. See, Jesus is the way, but the Father is the destination. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Jesus demonstrated in his his life on earth a relationship with the Father that he wants us all to walk in. You know, everything he did on the earth, it says he didn't do anything unless he saw his father doing it. He didn't speak anything unless he heard his father saying it. So Jesus walked in a communion, a continual conversation, perhaps an inner dialogue with the father in prayer. And, and he demonstrated that for us because he wanted to bring us into that revelation. Turn with me to John chapter 17, the gospel of John chapter 17. Uh, Let's look at verse 6. This is part of Jesus' high priestly prayer. The, uh, you know, the, the gospel of John chapters 14 to 17 are known as the upper room discourse. It was his last message to his disciples before he would go to the cross. He'd be crucified, buried, and third day he'd rise again. But this was his last opportunity to be with his disciples and really pour into them everything that he wanted them to know. And so he says in John 17, verse 6, Jesus said, To the Father, I have manifested your name to the men whom you've given me out of this world. I have manifested your name to the men you have given me out of this world. What was the name that he manifest? I think six times in that prayer he refers to he refers to Father, and a more accurate translation would have been Abba. Abba Father. Because Abba is maybe better translated in our English English language as as Daddy. It's a much more affectionate, endearing term 
than father. It was, it was daddy. It was very close, connected. To the Jewish people, they had known Jehovah for over, they had known God as Jehovah or Yahweh for 14 centuries. The name which Jesus manifested to them occurred in which he spoke six times in, in John 17 was Father. This was something that there were some types and shadows in the Old Testament, but Jesus fully brought, he unfolded that understanding that God is our Father. So what does it mean that Jesus manifested that name to his disciples, the name of God is Father? As they watched him living out his life before them as a son of God, they could begin to understand what it means to have a personal relationship with God as Father. There was something that had never been, this was something that had never been openly revealed to the Jewish people in the Old Covenant. David was probably the closest in his walk with God, especially when you look at Psalm 23. But it was never, you know, God was Yah. God was Yahweh. He was uh, Jehovah. He was out there, all-powerful. But they didn't understand this, this personal connection um, to the Father. But Jesus demonstrated it. As a matter of fact, when they were in the boat and the, the storm arose and they were all freaked out, and uh, they're like, Jesus, don't you care that we're about to die? And he stood up, and it says he rebuked the wind and the waves, and everything calmed down. And they were like, who is this man that has authority even to rebuke the wind and the waves? Well, he was moving as a son. And up to this point, no one, no one had manifested the father. See, it takes a son to manifest a father or to show a father. Uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 10, verse 22. Jesus emphasized that he alone can reveal the Father. In Luke 10, I'm sorry, chapter 10, verse 22. All, he said, all things have been delivered to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. And he to whom the Son wills to reveal him. In the Gospel of John, chapter 118, likewise says, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father has declared him. For the revelation of the Father, each of us is dependent upon the grace that comes through Jesus Christ. Jesus manifested the Father. If you want to know what is God the Father like, look at Jesus. He was the express image of the Father. The writer in Hebrews makes a distinction between the message of the Old Testament prophets and that of Jesus. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, it said, God after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days he has spoken to us in his son. Literally, the Greek says not in his son, but in a son. You see, God's message in the New Testament differed from that in the old, not in, con 
not only in content, but in the channel through which it came. In the Old Testament, God spoke through prophets. In the New Testament, he spoke in his son. And only Jesus as a son could actually reveal God as a, a father. Because he knew him as a son. And he knew God as a father. So why is that important? Why is, uh, why is it important that we begin, that we come to the father, that we, that. Jesus wanted to restore us into a relationship with the Father. Well, you know, in our culture today, there's all kinds of confusion everywhere. And, and the brokenness caused by the confusion has just gotten worse generationally. And, and many, many here in this room, many all over the place have come from very broken uh, homes, and you haven't really had a, a positive uh, role model as a father. It's unfortunate, but God wants to restore your understanding of father because he's about redeeming and restoring all things. See, number one, fatherhood is a, gives you a source of personal identity. Throughout the Bible, a person was always identified as a son or a daughter of a certain man. This is expressed in many English family names, such as Williamson, Jackson, Thompson. It was a son of someone. In each case, a person's identity was derived from a father. The breakdown of the family in many nations today is to produce you know, what we refer to sometimes as Generation X, Generation Y, Generation Z. And if you remember from your algebra classes in ninth grade or 10th grade, these letters are solve, you need to solve for the unknown. Who are they? Everyone's looking. You know, you solve for X, solve for Y. It's all about solving for the unknown. But here's the thing. God wants you to know who you are. He wants to provide identity. Because you, you were created in his image. You were his idea. You didn't come into the earth on your own. God created man and woman in his image and in his likeness and for his purpose. He has a divine destiny for each of us to walk into. We see identity crises throughout, um, throughout culture right now. People are trying to change things and change their identity or identify as something other than what they were born as. Our identity needs to be drawn from God. You were created in his image. You belong to him. Uh, <clears throat> this is going on because people don't understand that. They don't know who they are. The unspoken, the unspoken cry of every heart is to know God. And really that means to know the Father. Because he cares for you. He loves you. He's, it says God so loved that he gave, his only son. He gave that which was most precious to restore you and I back into relationship with him. He wants us to know him as father. He wants us to gain our identity from him because he's a father and he cares for his children. The unspoken cry of the heart is to know God as father. I believe the Christian church today, you and I, 
can effectively communicate the reality of God as father to multitudes of young people who have no idea who they are. We can do this in the same way Jesus manifested the father's name to his disciples. He did that by demonstrating in his daily life the reality of his personal relationship with the father. He constantly walked in communion with the father. He he wasn't self-conscious, but he was God-conscious. So when the father wanted him to heal somebody or speak a word that was somewhat challenging to the Pharisees or the Sadducees, he was doing it in communion with the father. We, he, the Lord wants us to cultivate that same relationship. We're invited into that same relationship to commune with the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus Christ has taken up residence in us. It's Christ in us. It's the very hope of glory. We can walk in constant communion with him and get our identity from him. Number two, fatherhood assures us that we have a home in heaven. Ever since I was saved, I believed that I would, if I continued faithful in the Lord, I would go to heaven when I die. But I never really thought of heaven as my home. God wants us to know that our home is in heaven, that he's prepared a place for us. You know, Jesus said, in my house there are many mansions. In my father's house there's many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. So he's already prepared the place. Turn with me to Hebrews 11, chapter 11. Beginning at verse 13. This is talking about the, the fathers of the faith that says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out of, they would have had the opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. You know, the more I'm getting older, unfortunately, too many reminders happen here and there. But in any event, um, more and more I, I recognize that, you know, we're, we're promised so many years, you know, maybe 80 years, maybe a few more, who knows. But, you know, it's, unless the Lord returns, everyone who is born at some point will die, right? I'm not hastening that coming, but it's just the reality. But if my, if my treasure's in heaven, if my home is in heaven, then I want to live my life on earth for what's going to count in heaven. It's only in this lifetime that we face temptation, that we face opposition, that we face challenges, and every decision you make for the Lord here, it counts in eternity. It counts in eternity. So every time you choose God over temptation, every time you choose to forgive in the, in the face of an offense, Every time you choose to do the right thing when it would have been much easier to take a shortcut and compromise your integrity, 
every time you choose to do that, you're choosing God. And you're positioning yourself for where you'll be in heaven. You know, that's why Jesus said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust don't corrupt. Everything on earth is going to pass away. But you're going to live eternally. The question is, how close do you want to be to the heart of God? Positionally. I really do believe that our life on earth matters. And, and we're here to do his will. Just like Jesus said, I've come to do the will of the Father. So we, we have a great opportunity. If you start to re recognize that heaven is my home and I'm living for eternity, it's going to impact your decision making. You know, I talked a few, for a few weeks about the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is, is, is very much connected to that. It's an understanding that I'm going to stand before God. You know, and, I, and we're going to give an account. And just to walk and say, God, I don't want to touch anything that's going to cause my separation from you. Derek Prince wrote in one of his books that he said, when I die, I want, <clears throat> I want it to be written on my tombstone two words, gone home. And uh, that's where his, it was a reality to him that heaven was his home. Think about the poor beggar uh, who lay outside the rich man's door in, in Luke 16. If we could turn to chap, um, Luke chapter 16, verse 22. Jesus was given a, a parable, and he talked about the rich man and Lazarus, and the rich man suffered during his time. But, I mean, the rich, the rich man had everything he needed, and Lazarus was suffering. The rich man didn't really care much about what was going on with Lazarus. But it says in verse 22, so it was when, the, when Lazarus the beggar died, he was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. You know, surely one angel might have been sufficient to carry this emaciated man, but God sent a whole escort. The, the beggar was given a royal welcome into Abraham's bosom. I believe it should be like that for every child of God. You know, when we get ready to give up the ghost or give up our spirit, we should, we should know we're, we're entering into, into the heavenly realm. And he has an escort of angels ready to carry us. I read a story about John Wesley. <clears throat> it says he once received word that a Methodist sister he knew had died. And he responded, did she go in glory or only in peace? See, when you know heaven's your home and you're about to depart this world, you have confidence. You're in the home of an unbeliever or somebody who's about to die, it's probably a very scary place to be. Because when they depart, they have no, they're just, they don't know what they're facing. But we, we, we can have confidence. Our home is in heaven. We're passing through this life, but God's got us. I believe every child of God should go home in glory with an escort of angels. Number three, talking about why is fatherhood important. Number three, fatherhood provides total security. Picture a little child held securely in his father's arms with his face pressed against the father's shoulder. There may be great confusion and distress all around. The world may seem like it's falling apart, but the little child's totally at peace. He's unconcerned about what's taking place all around him. 
He is secure in his father's arms. We too are securely held in our fa- in, by our father. Jesus has assured us <clears throat> that our father is greater than all that may surround us and that no one is able to snatch us out of his hand. To the disciples, Jesus gave this assurance. Turn with me to Luke chapter 12, verse 32. Luke 12, 32, he says, do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Look, we may be just a little flock surrounded by wild beasts of all kinds. (laughs) But if our father has committed himself to give us the kingdom, there's no power in the universe that can stop it. If God be for us, who can be against us? Number four, fatherhood provides motivation for service. In Philippians 2.3, Paul warns us as servants of the Lord, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Over the years, I've, I've had to check my own heart in these matters, but I, I've seen it. It's, it's in the church, and it's outside of the church. Selfish ambition, self-promotion. This is a desire for success that's outside of the will of God. Wouldn't even say it's always outside of the will of God, but it's it's a selfish desire. <clears throat> we often make the mistake of equating security with success. We're always trying to little more money here, a little something else, whatever would bring us security. I've often pushed at work to be promoted. And, uh, you know, I've, I've had to really check my heart on some things like that. It's, uh, <clears throat> you, you, it's not, ambition is not bad, it's selfish ambition. We're continually threatened by the possibility that someone else might do something better, bigger, more meaningful than ourselves. As for myself, I found the perfect pattern is in Jesus. Let's turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 29. You can ask the worship team to come up. Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 29. Jesus said, the Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. If we can operate like Jesus, we'll no longer be motivated by selfish ambition. I've discovered a sweeter, purer motive. Simply please my Father in heaven. Listen, I'm a work in progress, but I'm training myself to approach every situation and every decision with a single simple question. How can I please my father? In times of frustration or seeming failure, I seek to turn my focus from trying to solve a problem to maintaining an attitude that pleases the father. As servants of Christ, there's no competition among us if we're motivated by that simple desire 
let's do what is pleasing to the Father. Harmony and mutual concern will take the place of striving and self-seeking. So the Father provides proper motivation for service. Just going to touch on the, the four things real quickly. I'm going to ask you all to stand. It's important that we come. Jesus is the way. The way is <clears throat> only significant if it's unto a destination. A destination is the Father. God wants to restore your relationship to Him as Father. Fatherhood provides a source of personal identity. We were created in His image, we belong to Him. Fatherhood assures us that we're, we have a home in heaven. We have, a desti- we have a home with God. We'll never, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We belong to him. We're going home to him. The stuff we face in this earth is temporal and it passes. Number four, fatherhood provides motivation for service. We should do nothing out of self-seeking or self, self, selfish ambition. But our motivation should be to please the father in all that we do. Thank you, Lord. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you're restoring us into right relationship with the Father. You are restoring our understanding. And we ask for an outpouring of grace that we might enter in to this this understanding in in a deeper way. Thank you, Lord. As I've been, you can begin to play. As I've been speaking this morning, this afternoon, maybe some people who desire to walk in a, in a closer, more intimate relationship with the Father. He's really not a far off. He's not someone that we only call on in trouble when things aren't working out and, oh, we need you, God. He wants to walk with you every day of your life. He wants to walk with you in every situation of your life. Jesus demonstrated a connection to the Father that he wants to manifest in you and I. Because this is what the Father wants. You know, maybe there's a barrier that seems to, like, you keep hitting against. Well, God wants to remove it. God wants to remove it. Jesus is the only one that can reveal the Father to you. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Ask him to remove the barriers. Ask him to grant you more of a direct personal revelation, a connection. After that, we just begin to trust him. We have to wait for him. We have to listen for him and say yes. Father, I thank you for your presence right here, right now. He's present. I feel an invitation from the Lord. If you want to step into a a deeper connection with the Father, 
it's nice that you have the, the emergency helpline, the bat line, the bat phone. God help. But he wants more than that. He wants more than that. He wants you. He wants to walk with you in the cool of the day. He came to restore what he had with Adam when they would walk in the cool of the day together. If you want more of that connection, you want prayer for that, our team is here. We'll, we're, we'll, we're glad to pray with you. I know I want more of it. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at LifeCenterNYC or YouTube at LifeCenterChurchNYC.